So obviously want to learn all about the new band and talk about the upcoming whiskey show and look in the rearview mirror a little bit. But uh, let's start with the the new band. Initially, after the uh, quote-unquote divorce, you put out a solo acoustic album, and I figured that that was going to be your path moving forward, that it would just be solo Christian from here on out. But talk about wanting to form a band and get back in, in that band situation with Lions at the Gate. Um, you know, it's funny, you, you, you are you are even knowledgeable that I put out an acoustic album. It was something that we did, uh, that I did, you know, for fun, coming out of the El Nino thing. I wanted to just, I guess, practice or rehearse my songwriting side a little bit more. And uh, personally, I had gone through s- several challenging things in my life at that point, and I think that making a little bit more intimate album was right for the time, but... You know, in my heart, the entire time, I was still a metalhead, you know, and I'm still, um, and I was still wondering, oh man, you know, I'm a rocker, when hopefully things will flourish and, you know, I'll wind up in something cool. And it was really a blessing that, um, you know, that Diego and Steve started getting together writing music and eventually we discussed just putting a band together, which became Lines at the Gate. And I'm extremely blessed to even be on the phone with you right now with this project. So thank you. My pleasure. And so that's interesting. I wanted to learn, obviously, Diego and Aru from El Nino days, but I was curious how you connected with uh, Stephen and, and Fern. It was just mutual musicians. You know, the internet brought some of us closer together, like Fern. Aru uh, was a fan of his drumming online and on his social media channels, and um, and he brought him into the band. He, he suggested, hey, let's bring Fern in. He's really a, an amazing drummer, and he likes the music, likes the album. And Steven is ironic because Steven did wind up playing on my acoustic album, but we wound up meeting at a Cradle of Filth concert and wound up talking and discussing things. He, then later on, we stayed in contact. He played on my acoustic album, and also Diego and Steven developed a relationship where they began started writing music together and putting ideas together. Really, it was the humble beginnings of what might be Lions at the Gate at that time. Ah, interesting. Yeah, it makes sense because I always see Steven and Diego out at shows together, whether it's Seven Dust or uh, I think it was Corn over the summer. Those guys are like the foot soldiers for Lions at the Gate. Always seeing those guys out and about together. For sure. You know what, though, man? My turn is coming because, you know, the more clout we get, the more free tickets we'll be able to get to shows, all right? So (laughs) then I'll be going to the shows, too. (laughs) So a couple killer singles out so far. Are we working ourselves towards a full-length album, or is it just a singles world we're living in in your eyes these days? Well, we're very lucky that we have a bunch of really cool songs on the album. At least our manager feels so, our, our booking agent feels so, and that's very important in today's world uh, in music is to at least have some people that believe in you that can help along a little bit. There is no big team behind us, but the album is done. We were able to get the album done, and we're just trying to be smart about the marketing. We're also uh, a little bit more old school, and I'm, I'm used to things being a little bit more old school, magazines and stuff like that, but we live in a social media world and in a streaming world where if you're lucky enough to have a bunch of songs on an album that sound like cool singles then you're probably should do kind of what we're doing just put out singles until you develop enough of a fan base where you could tour and then release an album that would make the most sense back in the day you would just release one single and go tour and most of the work was done on the road covid kind of changed that and and we could see it in bands like spirit box and stuff like that but um it's just a different world i think that we have the album done we're going to release 
release it. We're not going to hold it back for no selfish reason. Uh, it's just that we want there to be a, a, you know, a reveal of songs in a certain manner, and we want to try to attract people to the project and also show different sides of what we can do. And, you know, if we were just to put out an album having so many great singles, some of the songs may get lost in the shuffle. Okay, so there's definitely an album coming, which is great to hear, and probably this year? Uh, it feels like maybe this year sounds reasonable, unless if, if you know we keep doing a couple of if we keep doing a single every couple of months and that keeps going great, we'll probably take it into next year and then drop the album. I, I think we still have about another three or four singles on the album, so we're blessed in that element that we worked with a great producer that really helped us hone in but we also are trying to be just smart about the marketing you know nothing's going too quickly nowadays in the music industry so we we're just you know holding our place in line basically if you will definitely looking forward to the the future new tunes and the full album and we've got the big show coming up the premiere event at the whiskey on april the 28th the the band's live debut essentially Yes, my debut, and it's ironic we talk about the album because we'll be playing a bunch of songs that we haven't released yet, so, you know, it's a really good incentive for anyone that digs even one of the singles to come down and hear most of the album played live. We're not going to play the whole album, but we're going to play most of the album live, and then we're going to do a listening where everyone can listen to the entire album. So it's going to be pretty awesome. I'm so excited, especially after all that's occurred, man, with venues and, and bands and no one being able to really play. It feels like it's a blessing and just a light at the end of the tunnel to be able to set up a show and for our band at least to you know get off the ground finally and i love you guys got thrown into exile and uh, breaking in a sequence david silvera's new band opening up that show for you that's right that's right i mean the la music scene is a pretty small music scene believe it or not it's just it's a small circle and you know there are certain bands that are friends and mario is one and we also got mikey and bias and mario and thrown into exile so you know we're we're just excited you know we're really excited about our show and to be able to do it with a couple of friends is that in itself is awesome and I imagine uh, since you're not going to be playing the full album that night, maybe some uh, old songs in the uh, set that evening? Um, I don't know. I think we got plenty of great newer songs to do. But you never know. You know, maybe down the road that is something we might consider on, a, on, on maybe a, a fuller tour or something like that. But for now, I think we're going to try to stick to, to a bulk of the album, at least some songs that we feel are really special that people, I think, might connect to and, and, and some music that hopefully will fit into the world nowadays because that's really all music is. It's just an expression of everything we're going through. And I really look forward. Uh, hopefully, April 28th at the Whiskey will be phenomenal, and we're really excited to, to be able to have a show close to home at least this is my home now i live in california i'm originally from new york but i'm a transplant now man I, I, I'm, a, I'm a i'm a warm weather farm boy in temecula at this point you know <laughs> well i love it that means you're in the ie you're in the inland empire like the radio station so you know speaking of the ie and, and concerts and stuff i did want to go back and and uh knock off the cobwebs and think back to 20 years ago Ozfest 2002 <laughs> happened just up the road from you at Glen Helen biggest date on that tour 44,000 people in attendance that day it was August 31st 2002 but give me your memories your your recollections of Ozfest 2002 Especially at the Glen Helen, man, it was an extremely memorable experience. Our friends were there. Dino from Fear Factory came up and played one of our songs with us. And that was like, when you have something like that happen, it instantly becomes a highlight of the tour, you know? 
and everything around it, it's almost like your brain starts to compile all the smaller memories around that day. And I remember that day like it was yesterday. I remember having a great time with friends there, man, and it was packed and the crowd reaction was intense. The funny thing is I had been always told the L.A. crowd is cold. The L.A. crowd is cold. But really, that day, that Asa show at Glen Helen, the L.A. crowd went off. It was just heartwarming to even see that. Yeah, that's because it's really going down in the IE. It's really the Inland Empire kids out there bringing the party and bringing the madness. That is what it is. But you don't know it then. You know, when you're an East Coaster and you're just coming out to play, they tell you you're going to L.A. and that's the way you think of it. Now I totally understand differences between L.A., San Diego, the IE, or the places in between even. Yeah, it's just like everyone lumping New Jersey and, and New York together when they're very, very separate. Pretty much. And the, the irony of it all is places in California are so incredibly different from each other. Even L.A. from San Diego and Temecula to, you know, Long Beach. It's they all have like their own little things. That's what I think makes California so special. That, yeah, if you're fed up with a certain thing, you could actually move somewhere else in California and have it a little bit different if you wanted to. Yeah, completely different experience. Just uh, one more thing on the on the uh, OzFest and... and one other thing that popped out to me about that tour, and, and sadly, that was the tour that uh, Drowning Pool singer uh, passed away on, Dave Williams. Do you have any memories from that going down? I mean, I'm sure you weren't there then, but just like, oh my God, somebody could die on a tour. Yeah, I have very, very clear memories of everything that occurred that day, man. I mean, the Ospets for us was a huge tour, and I think I was trying to take in as much as possible, because I was a new Jack, you know, and, and even having been friends with the guys from Johnny Pool and touring with them on the Jaeger tour was kind of what allowed us to get the Ospets spot. You know, ah. Arning Pool didn't ask us to do the Jaeger tour. I don't know that we would have gotten that Ausfest slot, but it was all because of Dave Williams. You know, and, and I've spoken about this clearly before. He was a fan of the band, and he pitched to uh, the Jaeger people to have us be part of the Jaeger tour. That opened the door for us to be able to go and do Ausfest. And man, when Dave Williams died, it, it was extremely tra- tragic, not just for us, but for several bands that were close to them, because we not only got to see what occurred, like you said, to have the insane realization that in this moment of glory and tour glory, someone could totally pass away in, in a second. You know, their families had flown in, and we, we had spent a lot of the day with them mourning. You know, it was it was heartbreaking to go through, and still to this day, you know, I, I think of him a lot. I think he did so much. Dave Williams did so much for our career, and you know, I, I'm blessed to to have known someone so kind-hearted and such a talent too. You know, because his voice was impeccable every night, and you know, I, I even learned from him a lot at, at that young stage in my career. Wow. Yeah, great to hear and sad, but glad to see that that band has found a way to continue on and still out there making music and still playing live shows and stuff. And just with that being the 20th anniversary coming up, I had to had to get some thoughts from you. Christian, I appreciate all the time. The last thing I got to hit you with is we're one of those old school radio stations. Every night at 10 p.m., we bow down and do mandatory Metallica, which you're going to be a part of. And so I wanted to unpeel your Metallica fandom a little bit. Have you ever shared the stage with them? What was your introduction to Metallica. Do you remember the first thing you ever heard? Yeah, my introduction to Metallica was Master of Puppets. It was, I remember living in New York City. My Polish cousin, ironically, I'm a Latino, (laughs) but I have like a small part of my family that's from Poland. He had visited 
our family from Poland. And apparently I learned that day that in Europe and especially in Eastern Europe, they're on to like underground metal way earlier than Americans are. Wow. Back then in the 80s, Europeans and Eastern Europeans were on to the metal bands way before America even exploded it. And he had come down and he took me to a record store and Master of Puppets was one of the albums that he bought that day. And... I'll never forget the listening experience that I had, you know, it, it was to my ears, it was out of this world, it was almost alien and I was attracted to it immediately, immediately. I have, you know, several, one of my favorite Metallica songs is definitely Off of Justice for All Dyer's Eve, which I always felt was such an extreme Metallica song that always felt uh, just next level for them. But the Master of Puppets album is, is what you know, holds a true place in my heart as a Metallica uh, fanboy in my early age. Yeah, and, and that's their masterpiece. I mean, there's not a bad track on that entire album. I mean, that's their album of perfection. Absolutely, and even till the end with songs like Leper Messiah and things like that, you know, I mean... Yeah. They just drove the nail so hard on that album. Like you're, they didn't lose focus. Every song was intentional and intense, and uh, and they sounded their own. They had their own sound at the time in thrash metal, and I think that's that's what really you know still continues to be something that's important in music. Absolutely. Now comes the tough part. You got to pick a tune for us to play for you on Mandatory Metallica. Okay, we'll go Leper Messiah. Ah, I love it. Love it. We'll rock that one for you. All right, I'm super blessed that I even got to do this with you, Mike. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christian. I'm sure we'll bump into each other soon, and uh, best of luck with the new band, man. Thank you, brother. Have a great week. You too, man. Bye-bye. Dude, you absolutely rock. Thank you so much for checking out the entire interview. Now just hit subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast, Radioactive Mike Z. My interviews in their entirety, available on all the major platforms. Tune in, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever you're listening to right now. Just hit the subscribe button. Make sure to give me a follow on the socials as well. I'll follow you back at MikeZ967. And bro, don't miss the radio show. Now 10 p.m to midnight on 96.7 KCAL Rocks in the Southern California Inland Empire area, Riverside, San Bernardino County. Always streaming on live at kcalfm.com. You, my friend, absolutely rock.